Hey, nice thank to you. Meet you. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. This is the uh, the the biggest treat for me and him. Um, we are called Red River Podcast. We're actually named after a Canon film. Uh, Which one, Red Red uh, River? Yes, Red River Podcast um, is is a radio station that they say in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. So oh. the Toby Hooper, like when. when yeah, when Stretch yes. is talking, she she said, you know, that's the station she works at. And um, it's funny because the three directors that we really wanted to talk to were mm -hmm. you, obviously, you know, rest in peace, Toby. But uh, uh, Joe Zito, that was the, the third guy. Like Joe Zito, to the best of my knowledge, is in Egypt. Oh, wow. Oh, Not wow. as a visitor, permanently. He's producing a very, that's from what I know, a yeah. very popular uh, ER show in Egypt. Wow. In, a, a, in the Egyptian television, something like this. But anyway, either he's in Qatar or in Egypt for many years. And this is a very successful show in the Arab world, kind of an ER yeah. medical show. Do you, do, you, do, you ever, do you keep in touch with any of the, the candidates? No, uh, Toby, uh, uh, Toby, I worked with Toby in one movie. I was second a second unit in a movie that he directed, Crocodile. Oh, okay. And oh. I, you know, I used to meet the Toby in the corridors in Canon, but Crocodile's many years after Canon, he he, he directed a movie uh, for New Image, Crocodile, and he needed assistant or uh, not assistant, a second unit director for two 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 weeks. So you know, so we knew each other. Very cool. Joe, I I used to, I used to be in contact with Joe when he was here. And one day I went to a screening and suddenly I see him and his wife, she works with him. Hey, Joe, how are you? How are you from Canon, from the days of Canon? What yeah. are you doing? He said, I live in Qatar. I live in Egypt. 
I, I'm, I'm producing a show, but the more I spoke with people, I understood, I understood that this is a, so this is a successful show and he lives in Egypt and this, therefore I'm not in contact with him anymore. The, the mystery has been solved. We're always <laughs> like, I'm like, where the hell is Joe Zito? Cause to me, like, if you ask me like the best films from that era, um, obviously American Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja and Invasion USA. Like mm -hmm. I, I think Invasion USA right. is just so, and, and I'm 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 surprised he's not he's not active in Facebook or anything like this. You cannot find him. Yeah, you can't find him. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. So, but and uh, other directors from Canon, Jaylee Thompson passed away as well. Uh, Aaron is around, Aaron Norris, but he was later in Canon. Later on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Later in Canon, he's yeah. around, maybe. Wow. Texas, I don't know where he is. We're such I, a huge Canon fan. Even when you just said that you you pass uh, Toby in the halls of Canon, I'm thinking, of, wow, what a building I would love to be in. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the the floor of the editing, or it was like half a floor of editing room. Yeah. So we all used to edit similarly at the same time, more or less. So that's how I met, that's how I met uh, Toby Hooper. That's how I knew Joe Zito, Aaron mm -hmm. Norris, Kanchalovsky, uh, Jay Lee Thompson. Guns of Numeron. <laughs> so I, I was I, I was telling Brian, you know, before, like what my relationship with action movies and like as a kid, I love them. And it, as I got older, for some reason, like once they started to feel like a cartoon, like you see the movies now, they're so full of CGI. And like I, I almost don't have an attachment to them the way I did with those early movies, you know, like before Schwarzenegger. um you know, came around like I was like Shokasuki, anything he did, I would watch. And today's his birthday. Happy birthday, Shokasuki. Oh, um, happy birthday, Shokasuki. <laughs> um, so I, I would watch these movies. And, and this was back then when VHS, you know, like you would buy a VHS and you were stuck with it because they were like a hundred dollars. They were a lot oh, of money. Yeah. You couldn't, right? <laughs> yeah, so we, I, I, I would have like Year of the Dragon by uh, with Mickey Rourke. I had Revenge of the Dragon, like these uh, Revenge of the Ninja, and I would watch them over and over again. And what do you think about the current state of action? If you have any thoughts, so from what I hear from people, and and the same thing with my, myself, I hear the same sentiment that you are expressing. The action, the independent. But also the big action movies, uh, James Bond, let's say, for instance, of the 80s, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, they were all done with the, in a physical way, <laughs> with the minimal of optical, uh, optical effects, because there was no computer, no, no CGI. So the action had to be performed, really performed on the set. So you had those people, either we worked with Shokasugi, which he did everything himself, Oh, people were to doubles. It's okay with with stunt doubles, and and uh, so if something that Schwarzenegger didn't do himself, a stunt double really swung on the on the cable, let's say, yeah, or yeah. really jumped from a moving car. Everything had to be done, and of course, then we entered the the, the super movies of the superheroes and special effects, including the Fast and the Furious. Let's say, okay. The action is spectacular, no question about it. You know, on those on the, the current movies that we see in the last 10, 15 years, the action is fantastic, it's spectacular. But there is a sense you can feel it that they are not really performed. People don't really, you know, 
swing in the air, jump from, from a six-story building, and uh, jump out of a moving car. The, the two cars really had an accident. And, and there is something about it. There is a feeling. And, and you know, I, I sense it. Of course, I'm impressed by the new action, by the spectacular action. But you sense the you you miss the immediacy, the, the this feeling. I say, I, I call it. You miss the pain. You don't feel the pain. And I hear the same thing from audience, a little bit older guys, like at your age, you know, that grew up with this action. Myself, I grew up with James Bond. I grew up with westerns, and where all the stunts were really performed and really done. And and. And, and that's what there it is, is now yeah. a, 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 a going back. There is a nostalgia now yeah. to those movies because, uh, you know, the new generation, they grew up on, on video games, of course. And, and those new movies, they are, uh, uh, they are kind of, uh, they come out of video games. And in yeah. video games, everything can happen. Lately, in everything can happen in the movie. And a car can fly from one building to another building with a distance between them like 100 uh, Yard and the car still making. I know into, into no. the roof of the other building. <laughs> you, you it's, understand? It's, a, it's it, almost it, like it's, it's not music. Realistic. It cannot happen in reality, but it's spectacular. And they grew up with this, but suddenly now they are a little bit fed up, and they and they discovering the movies from the eighties, the the independent mm -hmm. movies of the eighties, or the, either the studio as well. You know, uh, True Lies. It doesn't have to be a low budget movie. It can be Predator, True Lies, oh, which yeah. were big budget movies, so but good. still the action yeah. was real. And yeah. now when they see those movies, even the young kids, they say, wow, there is something that you feel about it. You don't have I, to be an uh, expert on mechanical stuff, but you, you can sense it. I think you're right. It's funny, it's funny that he mentions True Lies, because I think that I feel like that might have been my cutoff. Like, I feel like I watched True Lies and then from there, like it, I, like around that era. And then from there, it just got ridiculous. But True Lies was phenomenal. But, you know, growing up, you were going to say something like and I don't want to cut you off. No, I was going to. It reminded me of what the way people talk about music, analog versus digital. There's something to the warmth of analog it's like those old films give you that you know uh, yeah. we used to put the album the vinyl and you hear this little crackling <laughs> yes and, yeah, yeah. And we, the rough rough sound and there was something about it and there is a nostalgia people go back <laughs> yeah. and and that, that's why i love podcasts i love documentaries like enough time has passed where all these things get celebrated and now another thing that i that i realized is like google google's like a big thing before then i would watch ninja three i would watch all these movies but your name never came to me i, I was always looking for shokasuki or or whoever else or or michael dudikoff yes. and then as you get older like you start looking for this shit and then like you know as you get older you were like yo this name keeps popping up sam Furstenberg. and then you look at someone's catalog and you're like yo this dude made every movie that i watched for like <laughs> the first like 10 12 years of my life and another person who celebrated you who we had on the show he's from long island like us Ray the rugged man so oh, of course of great, course yeah great guy how did I how did him. how did you how did you link up with him i i, I I'll tell you, number, I'll, I'll answer two, uh, two questions. Number one, the movie business, the movie media from the infancy, from the beginning was the media of the star, not the stars, not the directors, not the people behind the camera. The people behind the cameras were always anonymous. They are, they are the less important in terms of the audience, not in the terms of making the movie. So it was always the, the media of the stars from the beginning, from the, the silent era, 
Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Furbank, and Mary Pickford, you know. This was the face of cinema. And, and so it's naturally what you told me that you knew the, the Shokasugis and the Michael Ludikov, obviously, because we are in the media. This is the business of the star, the yeah. movie business. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, when I finished, you know, I, I did, uh, we're going to R.A. <laughs> we directed the movies and we made those movies canon in the 80s. The, in the beginning of the 90s, I kept making movies all the way to the year 2000, but kind of those movies kind of sank away a little bit in the consciousness of the audience. And then it started, I would say, the end of the 90s into the 2000s, they started to surface back again. And since then, I, I, more and more, I've involved more and more interviews, podcasts, uh, printed material interview, documentaries, and so on and so on and so on. But the first man who approached me ever after the slump, you know, was Ari. Yeah. One day I'm getting uh, this telephone call, <laughs> telephone call. We were talking about more than 10 years ago, 10 years ago, 12. And yeah. I said, I'm a, I'm a rapper, Ari, and I, I have this little show. It was for... Uh, it was for one of the television channels, I don't remember now. And he said, can I come and I'm doing all kinds of episodes about movies. Can I come and interview you? I will yeah. come to your house. So he was the first uh, like video interview that I had. He is, he, <laughs> he, he is a real cinephile. Uh, yeah, from Long Island, like we, I, I love him. A, a amazing rapper, and and he knows so much about the uh, movies. So it's funny, you know, with a guy like that who you know, with podcasting and, and things like that, like you, things like your movies will never die. You know, they'll never die because like you have someone being like, oh, that's cool. Check some this of out. them, some of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish all of them, but no, some hey, of them will never. Die. You know yeah. what? Listen, uh, yeah, we don't like every Metallica album, you know, that, it happens. So, sure. but um, so uh, what, what I wanted to talk about also um, was uh, stories from the trenches. I got your book. That uh, Marcus Siedelman, right? Marcus so, Siedelman. So Brian Langan will tell you. Uh, do I read books? No, <laughs> you don't. I don't. But for this, this is the most research I've ever done on anyone that we've had on, besides maybe like Brian Usna. And oh, yeah. uh, so I, I read uh, like a lot of the book, and it's great. And what I like that you say about it is you wanted to pay tribute to uh, to low budget movies, right? Listen, now we can now look at Hollywood retrospectively, at Hollywood history, not Hollywood. Hollywood was always there. When I was a little kid, there was Hollywood. When I was five years old, there was Hollywood. So, but, but, but as time go, we, we look, you know, every period in Hollywood, you know, there was the golden era of Hollywood, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. We are calling it now the golden era of Hollywood. Then there was the, the 50, 60, the golden era of the Westerns. Now we can see it from a distance. We can look back and see. So once, uh, you know, we were in the years of the 2000, 2010s, we look back, I looked back and not myself, you know, historians, etc., And they say, wow, there was a period in Hollywood history. It was the eighties and half of the nineties, the yeah, beginning yeah. of the nineties. And, a certain type of movies, a class of movies, type of movies emerged out of this period of those 15 years. They were independent, 
genre movies, not only action, horror, action, yeah. sci-fi, low budget, independent, that were propelled, the, the, the money that propelled it was the home video cassette business. In the beginning, and you guys remember, everybody remember all the corner uh, rental shops. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So this was the beginning. So you said the cassette cost $100, but it was yes. for them. We yes. just used to go there and rent the cassette and bring them home in the weekend. So in the beginning, the major studio did not pay attention to this business of the VHS cassettes and the rental money. So independent company got into it. Canon, uh, Coralco, uh, there are many independent, Shapiro Glickenhaus, there are many independent. You know, not many, but several companies that realized, hey, there is money there. It's not big yet, not big enough for the major studios. The studio used to make a movie, play theater, and then sell it to uh, uh, network TV. This was the business. They didn't realize that there is good money there. And, and there was good money. So there was good money. So this little business or type of movies thrived because there was enough money. It was not totally low budget. We were not like starving with no money. We had nice. No, yeah, you guys definitely had some budget. Nowadays we call it medium budget. Yeah. Because even then in the eighties, we made movies for two and a half million, three and a half million. So it's not a shoestring movie making, you know. Nah. So we had money, there was nice money. <laughs> and now when we look back, so this is now a period. That, uh, and then it disappeared. You And, and this was the cut off line. You're talking correctly. True lies because suddenly studios realize, hey, there is money over there. Why are we letting them, those little independent, make the money? We can make the money. So let's make the same type of movies that they are making: American Ninja, uh, you know, Terminator, the first Terminator, those kind of little movies. Let's we can make them now big budget. You know, we make considerably 20 million. We used to make them for two, two and a half, three. Now studios come in, they make True Light, Predator, 20 million, 15 million, 18 million, and they cut off the, the independent, the small independent low budget, which basically disappeared and the studios took over this field of those kind of action movies. So now we are looking back at this period. I was part of it. The, the way it worked out, I did not, I did not make a, a, a jump into the studio system, into the big budget uh, movie. And myself, plus many other directors, you know, as you mentioned, Joe Zito, definitely, uh, Toby Hooper, uh, um, you know, at least 20 directors of, 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 the, of this field, uh, Sheldon Ledditch, um, if I'm trying to come up, remember names. And, and, and now we have to preserve this, this to, to talk about it, to preserve it, to and, and yeah, to, and to like and to tell the story. Nostalgia, mm -hmm. Some of those movies, of yeah. course, not all of them, you know, there are hundreds of movies made in this <laughs> period, but some of them became, let's call them classics, you know, the classics yeah, yeah, of yeah. the period, either the classic of the martial art or the or the horror, the classics of the horror. And and uh, there is there are followers now, there are fans, there are followers who are looking and and, and researching those movies and re uh, uh, rescreening them either at home, but just before the pandemic, I was in a beautiful 35 millimeter theater screening of Ninja Tree: The Domination. Wow. People came with costumes, yeah. <laughs> you know, with yeah, Ninja we, costume. There, we, there, so it, it was a like a club that 
that uh, screens those movies from this area. We we were doing that too. We were screening stuff like where we live on Long Island. So we would pick like, you know, we had a sp- uh, movie theater. So once, what did we do? Once a month, I think it was. Once a month, we, yeah. we, we did like uh, some movies. So we would do like, you know, uh, all the gremlins 80s yeah gremlins and, all the 80s like classics and stuff the stuff that we can we could actually get the rights to um because it's just these are the movies it's it, you know you just remember them the way you remember them and and, and maybe okay. someone who you know i always talk about halloween i always talk about halloween 78 john carpenter because if i watched halloween today as a as a 43 year old man i don't know if i would it would have the same effect but i watch it as a kid Right. So I watch it as a kid and, and that every time I, I watch it on TV, I get reminded and it's like I go back in time and I'm like, oh, shit, this is like. And as a kid, as a kid, you didn't know low budget from high budget. Oh, no. The no. movie worked. The no. movie worked. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a good horror picture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when Marco Siedelman uh, contacted me about making a book, he first his idea was uh, let's uh, he wanted to make a book about Canon. Then he said, let's concentrate concentrating on the films of Sam Sam. First of all, I told him, Marco, let's make it, you know, it will be a tribute to the era. So what you have, what you have said, that's how it came about. It's not only about the movies of Sam Fersenberg, but they will represent, the movie I directed will represent the era, the, the genre, the, the, this little thing that happened in Hollywood, 80s and the beginning of the 90s. And your relationship with Menahem Golan, like I, what I what I got from the book so far is like you you work great with the team and you're someone who just it's like if you, they give you source material, you're going to go. You were like dependable um, anytime they needed something done for some reason. You're like, yeah, I'll do it because you I feel like you 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 love movies. So you just wanted to work and make them like so. Um, I, I, I remember what, like, so in like 75 or no, when did you meet Menahem? So, uh, uh, you know, first of all, I grew up on this type of movies, you yeah. know, I grew up in the 50s, 60s. So it was Western, mainly Western, Hollywood, Western. Gold, Goldfinger? Yeah, Goldfinger, the yeah, first. Yeah. I love it. Right? I love Doctor No from the yeah. beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Roger Moore all day, though. So, right. So James Bond, and uh, but mainly Western. That's before James Bond. A lot of Western. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's at the time, if you studying history of uh, Hollywood, that's how the director were at the time. Directors worked for the studios and studios got, just gave them assignment. So even if you good, you know, famous director, John Ford, he was assigned movies. You go and do this, this Western and you go and do the other Western. And that's how they did it. That's, that's where it was not the individual process as, like it, it evolved later with the, with the renaissance of the American cinema, you know, starting with Easy Rider and later individual movies. Prior to this, it was make machine. It was like an industry. Here is your job yeah, and go yeah. and make. And uh, I grew up in Israel as a kid, and Menachem Golan was an Israeli, he's older than me, at least 20 years or more older than me. Uh, so in Israel, there was no industry. It was in the 50s, young country just beginning. And Menachem Golan was the first person who produced and direct movie in, a, in, a, like in an industry manner really one movie after the other in Israel. So I knew his name, I never met him. I was a teenager, I went to high school, I, I knew his name, I heard his name, he was famous in Israel. And then I came 
uh, I, I, about the, uh, when I was about 21 years old, 22, this is 1972, I came to Los Angeles to go to film school. So because I love American cinema. I don't the year the year Godfather came out, 1972. Exactly, 1972. Yeah. The Godfather yeah. came out the year yeah, yeah. I came here to, but, to yeah, America. And you came and you worked on Lepke. Which... Uh, so yeah, I went to yeah. school. So I actually met him here. He came, Menachem Golan just finished the movie, what was it, Casablan musical, and he sold it to the studio to one studio here, to one of the studios, and he produced the movie, directed and produced the movie in Hollywood, it was called Lepke. And accidentally, I met him in some function. I asked him, I, I was a, a student film school. So I asked to join the production. He agreed. And that's how I met him. It was 1973, I think. Yeah. And, and, and the movie uh, Lepke with Tony Cortes, right? The, the book, you know, like it, the more I read, like what I really found amazing was, you know, you guys meet over here. Um, and then years later, you're going to school right around the time that he's starting canon and you're working on your movie uh one more chance with uh john, john lamada and uh, christy kirstie alley which is amazing and i love the story of how you you know you meet dave dave womack so and and you guys kind of run out of money and then that's where you meet up with menahem again right so uh, in the previous before they bought canon I told you, I met him and then I started to work with him and his company, with, with his cousin, Euron Globus. But I was, you know, all kind of function, eventually assistant director. I was assistant director to him. And about a few years later, 1979, I, I had enough. I didn't want to be assistant director. Anyway, I came back to the United States to go to school, uh, you know, like graduate school, Loyola Marymount University. And I, in school together with David Womack, we made, produced, made and produced the movie and we totally ran out of money at some point. We didn't even have the 90 minutes yet and we totally, totally ran out of all the resources. We couldn't continue anymore. At that point, it was 1980, uh, Menachem Golan and Yom Globus bought the company Canon, which was actually a New York uh, distribution company, production distribution company. They moved it to Los Angeles, to Hollywood, the company. They opened office, very small offices. <laughs> so I told my friend David, I said, David, I know those two guys. I worked with them for many years, you know, a few, at least a few years. I worked with them. Let's go, let's see. Maybe they will give us the money to complete the movie. And indeed they did. They saw the material. They said, okay, let's gamble. They didn't have to invest a lot of money. No, yeah. To, to complete the movie, but they did. They did. So we reignited. Our our acquaintance was uh, we we reestablished our acquaintance. That for two, two or three years I didn't meet them because I went back to school. I left the. And what what I love about the story too is like, um, you know, just just from reading the book, like, uh, you know, you guys really wanted to get into movie making, so it's like, okay, we're not going to make any money on this, but at least we get to make a movie. So it's like just the passion of being able to to do that, and uh, you know, as musicians like me and him, like that's that's the I way it is. Know. That's the way it is sometimes. Like you know, we're like, oh, okay, well, we could make a an, a record or whatever, and it's okay. just it's just like that that thing, you know, like you you know, especially coming from like you said Jerusalem, and then you're like in a different country. Like, what was that like? Just like coming to a different country. Like, did did, did so, it? So uh, uh, definitely. Uh, First of all, most of 
you guys are musicians, but let me tell you, most of young filmmakers are motivated by passion. They want to tell story. They, they, they know, you guys know that you can create music. The young uh, filmmaker know that they can create uh, cinema. So they are motivated by, by passion. And that's what, uh, not about money, at least in the beginning. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, listen, definitely coming from any country in the world into the US is a cultural shock. This is a rich country, huge distances. I came to the West. The distances that you drive are huge. The cars, every, I, it was 1972. Everybody's driving the car in the West, huge cars. Uh, there is so much wealth, so much, the, the, the supermarkets are so big. And, uh, and most of people who would come even from Europe, definitely from other places, from Africa, from Asia, Wow, this is a cultural shock. Now, of course, we all grew up with American movies, no matter where you are in the globe. You know, you're a, a Filipino, an Israeli, an Italian, a South African. You grew up, you grew up with the American movies. So we knew, you know, we knew enough about uh, uh, from a visual way. We knew about enough about U.S. But uh, it's a, something that you have to adapt. I came all by myself, uh, no parents, no, no friends, <laughs> 21. I was crazy. I wanted to go and study film in Hollywood. Well, you got, you got to be, you, you know, the one thing about life, uh, and sometimes I don't take the leap, but, you know, people that take a leap, you know, you got to be in it to win it, you know, and, and some people are like, mm -hmm. yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to go do this. Right, right. And, and, you know, we, we, when I went to school, to high school, at least in Israel, uh, because Israel is democracy, uh, the U.S. is a is a model, so we study history and in uh, all civil classes about the, the civil war, about the war, the, the establishment of the country, the, the uh, uh, constitution, and things like this. Slavery, the history of America. We grew up with the American book, uh, you know, Uncle Tom Cabin, Tom Sawyer, whatever, uh, and we saw movies which are To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, which are the, the heart of the American, the Westerns, the heart of the story of America. So we grew up with this anyway, because we were a democracy, America is a democracy. So not, not everything was foreign in terms of history, but wow, here I come, I suddenly I see the difference between the races, uh, between the white race and the black race. Yeah. We didn't experience things like this in, in the country where I grew up. Uh, and you stayed, yeah. like, you yeah, know, you, you see those huge... In, in Israel, policeman is a joke, like, like it was in England. You can joke with policemen. Suddenly I come here and they, <laughs> in the 70s, every, every policeman in Los Angeles is six, five, six and a half foot <laughs> tall with weapon. Like I, I, I was in my military. They had more weapon on their body than when I was serving. In the and there's so and things there, like that. And yeah, there's, there, there's, there's, some, there's something about LA also that, that you, you like because you stayed there, right? Like, like yeah. you've, been, you've been there the whole time. It's huge. It's big. Yeah. It's, it's suddenly you're in a big city, nine million people, Los Angeles, nine million people. Uh, as long as you, you can drive and drive and drive, there are always houses, houses, houses. <laughs> no matter how many hours you drive, you're in houses, like forest yeah. of, uh, forest of houses. Yeah, that, that, so there, there, there is the, 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 the this cultural shock. You adapt. You, you, you either look to it, but, but there is an advantage. Let me tell you because making movies or any any other type of art doesn't matter music writing book theater if you are a foreigner in a foreign culture you have a little bit of a 
point of view, you can distance yourself. So I had this uh, disadvantage, or maybe this, maybe advantage, maybe disadvantage, being able to uh, distance myself and look into the culture. Look, so I cannot make uh, uh, the last picture show, and I cannot make Animal House because you know you have to come from the inside to do movies like this. Uh-huh. But uh, but you, you can see, you can watch other movies and other. So a little bit this movie that I wrote and I directed, One More Chance with uh, Johnny Lamata, it's a little bit of a, it's a view of the society, uh, what, a certain part of the society in the city, in the urban society in Los Angeles. Yeah, and you're you're a big fan of like what I like. You like uh, crime stuff, you like drama stuff. So that 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 was a good way to start. Um, but then also like, you know, to, to fast forward to, to some of the stuff, like it's amazing to, to get in, um, aside from the octagon, I can't think of another movie. Oh, actually, no, enter the ninja came out. So, you know, you got into the ninja phenomenon, which started and then like the breakdancing thing too. So right, right. These are things that like, really you, I know Brian was affected by the breakdancing stuff. And to me, the only time I ever dressed up for Halloween, I was a ninja. I was a ninja, and when we would go, and when we would go to like you know the 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 flea market, they had like in the eighties they would sell fucking nunchucks and ninja stars at that time. You used to be able to order uh, the throwing stars, the back of like magazines. The soldier yeah. of fortune you go yeah, in the back absolutely. you can order it they'll mail it right to your house like well, a 10 year old kid <laughs> i know yeah completely so um let's talk about revenge of the ninja like what do you remember um you know with that coming out so it's like uh enter you know what's funny i never knew until years later that enter the ninja was first i thought it was revenge of the ninja enter the ninja and ninja three because it's it's a ninja trilogy but it has nothing to do with right <laughs> So this was this was a little bit a matter of luck, matter of faith. My my course, you know, I was into making movies, and I was I thought that I would make movies like you're mentioning, crime movies, social yeah. movies, etc., social drama. And so I was in my path was let's make movies, and I, I I just want to mention incidentally when I was a kid there was the Tarzans. Tarzans were big movies. Johnny Weissmuller. And, and he was the ninja of the time, <laughs> Johnny Weissmiller, Tarzan. And uh, he was exciting. This was an exciting thing for, for children, for children like me, Tarzan movies. And here, now I'm 20, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 29, 30 years old. I want to make movies. I'm a young director. And it just so happened that there, is a, there was a producer. There is a producer. His name is Menachem Golan. And he's attracted to this new gimmick, ninjas. Yeah. Now, the, we, we, there were uh, martial art movies, a little bit, Chuck Norris, Octagon. Chuck, yeah, Spider- Octagon. I, that's the only oh, one not, I can think of. Not, not many of them, you know, not many of them. And, and, but there were, there were the <coughs> Kung Fu movies, the Chinese, the Hong Kong movies. And, and for certain audience, it was, uh, you know, they were followers of the Hong Kong movies. Uh, what we used to call kung fu movies or karate movies, they used to call them. But nobody dealt with ninja. This phenomena that was called ninja was a Japanese internal thing. It was not the Chinese thing. That's why it didn't really penetrate the Hong Kong movies. And from the best of my knowledge, there were uh, there was a TV show in Japan, even way back then, ninja TV show in Japan, but it was local ninja. And I love samurai movies. Uh, uh, the Japanese 
exported Japan uh, uh, samurai movies, of course, Akira Kurosawa, there, and I, I watched all of them before I ever heard. And even there, you didn't see ninja. We didn't know any. And then my path crossed this ninja thing that was at the beginning, the phenomena, but just in the infancy, uh, Canon produced this movie, Enter the Ninja, yeah. with Shokasugi. And the, the, the director of Enter the Ninja, and he made it with the Franco Nero, which you know didn't work out too too well. This this uh, I didn't Italian even know. I I didn't know. I didn't know he was dubbed until the documentary. I was like, holy yeah, because, shit! Yeah, because he <laughs> I had no idea. Italian accent. He has an Italian accent. He's an Italian star. I was like so, five. And and the director, <laughs> the director producer, the head of the company, Menachem Gulan, did not want. They wanted to make a sequel immediately. It made some money, so they wanted to make a sequel immediately. And I just finished for them this movie, One More Chance. Yeah, yeah. So they just turned to me, you know, they just invited me. Can you, can we trust you to, to direct sequel to this movie? And the sequel was called Revenge of the Ninja. Shokasugi was already in before me. So when I was introduced to the project, he was part of it already. There was a script already almost finished. You know, we worked a little bit on the script. So, so it was just, my pet crossed this pet, you know, we crossed it rather. But you, but you took it. it. You took it. You it into one. Yeah, you, you and, took and, that opportunity. You were like, I'm going to do it. You're like, no yeah, way I'm going to say no. Hey, I'm a young director. I just finished one movie. I'm looking for my chances. Yeah. And I like action. I, uh, it was not something that I said, oh, you know, I'm a comedy director. I'm not doing action. It was something that I like. I like James Bond. I like uh, Westerns. I like uh, World War II movies, uh, American movies. Uh, all kind of other action movies, uh, Bullet, whatever was at the time, mm. and and uh, and yeah, so I, I I took this, I took it, uh, uh, you know, I invested all my talent and energy and everything I know about movie making into making this movie Revenge of the Ninja. Apparently, it was, you know, kind of a success. MGM picked it up for distribution. And when the studio picks up, with a major studio picks up a movie for distribution, it means that they believe it. Yeah, MGM, and they saw something M new. They saw some also yeah. MGM. I don't. I, Enter the Ninja was not terribly successful. It was okay. And suddenly, Revenge of the Ninja. They're opening it up in 800 prints, 800 theaters, West, uh, the Eastern America, US, then the Western, with a major distribution, write-ups in the newspaper. Etc. And suddenly it had an impact. And you know, in some countries, the movie is not it's not even called Revenge of the Ninja because nobody knew what ninja is. So in some countries, Germany, Japan, or not Japan, did not play Japan, Germany, France, they invented other names like the warrior, because nobody knew how yeah. to how to chew, how to swallow this business of ninja. Later, as you later said, on, you yeah. guys, later you on, yeah. Later on were the kids. Be I was in my 30s, you were the kids. And the kids picked it up. Yeah. With the Halloween dress up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But even and, like we wanted to be Kane. We yeah, wanted to be, we wanted to sure. be Kane. Kane was kicking ass, <laughs> show's son, you know, sure. and, and, and it wasn't, it, you know, I probably caught it on, on VHS few, a few years later because yeah. by that time, you know, The Last Dragon had come out. Like, so all these movies where you're like, oh, all right, I'm a kid and I want to, like, you know, at that point, everyone, like, there was never a clean fight. Everyone fought with karate. And this was the target audience, not, not, not intentionally, but it so happened that it became the target audience for those movies. Young boys, 
sometimes girls, not, not too many, mainly boys, but uh, also girls. And, and this was the, the range, seven to, uh, to 17. But then there was the, the adults, 25 to 35, that also liked those movies and they watched these movies. And I'm, nowadays I'm getting a lot of email from those two groups, either the kids or the, you know, the young adults who were between 18 and 35, you know, 20 to 35. And they're writing to me that, oh, we saw the movie. Yeah. So I, al- I also felt like there, you know, as big horror fans, we're big horror fans. I felt like uh, in a way it, it was very violent, which we like. <laughs> and in <laughs> the way like, you know, Braden was was in a mask and he was killing the mob dudes like you're it was it was almost like a slasher. <laughs> in right. a way, right? So, yeah, I, I'll tell you this was this was intentionally. Okay. Uh, when I was introduced, I was introduced to Shokasugi. Shokasugi is the real thing, you know. He's Japanese. He's I don't know. He's a ninja. He's not a ninja, but he's a trained. He's a master in martial art. He had all the knowledge about, uh, including knowledge about the the ninja techniques, etc. So he introduced me. He took me under his wings so to say, <laughs> and he introduced me, he recommended a few books in English about the subject. And, and then I realized immediately that this subgroup of ninja, which subgroup in the martial art, in the Japanese martial art, it's not the main, you know, samurais are the, the main thing, then all the other disciplines of martial art. And at the bottom of the bottom are the ninjas. <laughs> they are the, the dirty guys. I had no idea until I read the book. <laughs> I yeah, had no, oh, yeah, the, I had no idea. The, in the Japanese mythology, those were the assassins because everything about in Japan culture is about honor, you know, and the samurais, everything has to be according to codes. And when the shoguns needed some dirty work, they hired the ninjas. Ninja would go and assassin and do whatever dirty work for the shoguns, whatever was needed to do, to be done. Well, and, th- and, uh, and but when I when I was introduced to this with Shokasugi with all the, the, the exotic weapon and all kind of uh, poisons etc., I realized that there is an element here of mysticism, of mystery, of horror, uh, if you would say, uh, if you want. Uh, so I said, let's enhance this element, which is not the martial art. Martial arts are hand-to-hand combat. You know, samurais they are taking out the swords, they kill. You see a lot of blood. You see violence, but here we have another element. And I, you know, I was, I, 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 I didn't know much about horror picture before I came here to America. The first horror picture I ever saw in my life was The Exorcist. I never saw any horror picture before Exorcist. I loved Poltergeist, Toby Hooper. Oh, that, ex- that, that explains Ninja 3, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so I, was, I was already fascinated by the, those elements. And I said, oh, this is perfect. Let's marry them together. Yeah, ninjas and little bit horror, little bit mystique, yeah. little bit uh, unknown, you know, and well, they work together well. And indeed, you know, so let's say I was right because the, the kids liked it. It worked. It it it, it just had everything. It, it had like uh you know crime. Um, it had ninja so, uh, stuff. By the way, you know the green eyes of Brayden. This is not in the script itself. You know, he okay. there was a. I remember in the script he hypnotizes her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we came up, we said, okay, he's behind the mask. Can we have some glowing eyes <laughs> So to enhance this element that we are we are talking about of mysticism. 
we took it much further in Ninja 3, the domination in the cave, you know, David Chang goes into the cave and even more and more into the uh, mystery. And, uh, and the, is, is it, the, but even this whole business with Chokasugi with the fingers, with the hands, yes, the Abudera, well, you know, and, 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 and when, when he's go, he goes to the temple and he breaks the, the, the seal of the sword, there is a wind coming from nowhere, you know, and flopping his hair. Listen, listen like to that, me. You know? it, it, took, it took me probably, what, 35 years to have a conversation with you. Like, me and my cousins would rent this movie and we do the finger thing all the time. <laughs> we had no idea. We were just, because we of were course. so, I don't know what it was. We were just so all about it. And, and there's a scene in this movie that's like one of the best action scenes ever because it lasts forever. Um, you know when 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 ever when they break into <laughs> into the, the uh, into the gallery and then they go into yeah, the, the van, van sequence. Yeah. The van sequence is amazing, especially the way it starts. What well, doesn't start off, but when when show like does that leap and then he goes through the window. Like I mean, like what do you remember about making that? Because that 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 scene is outrageous. Uh, I'll tell you. So you know, uh, so here we spoke about ninja. We spoke a little bit about mysticism. We spoke about martial art and, and Eastern culture and Eastern uh, mythologies, etc. But I didn't want to make this kind of. I didn't want to make a Hong Kong movie right from the bat. You know, I. I when I read the script and I started to get involved, I said, that's not what I want to make. I want to make James Bond. I want to make Westerns. Uh, and I said, can we marry it? Can we put it together? Yes, of course we can do because it's up to us. And luckily, Shokasugi was like me. He had the same thinking. He wanted to become a Hollywood star. He was not about, he was not about the purity. He didn't care about the purity of martial art into the movies. He also wanted a martial, uh, Hollywood time movie. I said, so let's mix, let's have so-called, let's call it regular action, you know, movies action, uh, Hollywood action, together with, with the martial art. With the, and and uh, here comes a couple of sequences. One of them is the van, which is not martial art at all. It, it turns, it starts with a little bit martial art, then it goes into a regular fight, yeah. you know, fist fight, etc., with weapon, with gun, and ends up with a chase with a car uh, and so on. So I don't remember if it was... Uh, we prepared storyboard prior, you know, in pre-production, prior, prior to, the to the filming, to the shooting of the movie, we had, for every action sequence, I prepared the storyboard, not only by myself, obviously with the storyboard artist, with the Shokasugi, we had a stunt coordinator, Steve Lambert. So the action crew together, we worked on a storyboard and prepared. And I don't remember if the idea of flipping from the roof into a car was in the script or we developed it in a storyboard, but it is in the storyboard. Or the dragon. And I, and I remember, you know, because we didn't have the major resources and I knew that to break into a, through a glass, you have to be, to make a sugar glass. It's not, you know, of course, obviously it's not glass, not real glass. And uh, what, <laughs> what Hollywood is using is sugar glass, a glass made from sugar, from baked sugar. You hear it here and, first. And I knew, I remember when I told the guys, listen, the, the prop department will never be able to create a curved glass. So can you find a van with a flat glass, <laughs> the driving, you know, the windshield is flat. And there was, there was one Dodge van with a flat glass. <laughs> and that's, they, they, they look for it and the, the transportation department and they found this particular job, a Dodge with a flat, <laughs> with a totally flat uh, windshield. Uh, and and of course it was done by a gymnast, you know, a professional yes. gymnast. 
we shot, we, the movie was uh, filmed in Salt Lake City uh, and uh, there is a university, uh, Berman Young, and we had few uh, uh, gymnasts working with us, but the flip itself, which is dangerous, it's not for a gymnast. Oh, yeah. So a gymnast did a lot of the stuff, but uh, uh, Steve Lambert, our stuntman, did the flip and breaking in the glass, break and, the glass. And, and and they, that that's the that beauty. requires some uh, specialty. So he was doubling for Shokasu. That's 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 the beauty. Like what we were talking about earlier, it's like you watch a scene like this, and I think that's what people, you know, you get, um, you know, it's like eating that 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 home cooked meal that you remember. You're like, oh man, this tastes so good. You watch it, like even just rewatching it, you knowing that we were going to talk to you, it was just great. And uh, I love the the Indian guy that just jumped. Like it's just like some of the action sequences are so, so funny. And uh, but also Steve Lambert, like, did he really have that mustache when he played the cowboy? Uh, no. No, okay, 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 yeah, okay, yeah, because he he was like he was uh I guess like you no, know it's a makeup makeup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like the funniest outfit. He looked like uh, the guy from Toy Story. So yeah, so even this sequence in the play art in the player playground, it's not it's not a martial art. It, a martial art technique, you know. Uh, Shokasugi and Kit Vitali, they are using martial art uh, moves, but the sequence is not not really pure martial art. <laughs> no. no. But but you break. But they do. They use it. You, Actually, in the Hong Kong movies, there in the Hong Kong martial art movies, there is a lot of comedy fights. Uh, we 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 borrowed it from from, from there. But, but you need the content with, with the van. I'm sorry. Once again, the van. The feeling that you get. The feeling that it really happened. You know, I didn't know if we can do it again. Breaking of the glass. I didn't know what will happen. Three cameras. One camera inside the car. Inside the van two cameras outside, one moving camera, one stationary camera. Let's see what happened. I didn't know if it, if it would break yeah. the glass, not if you will be injured, if we can repeat it, maybe we cannot repeat it. And then we have the sequence that Chokasugi is dragging on the yep. asphalt. He's holding to the rear bumper and he's, uh, and, and this is like brutal. You can feel brutal. You, you feel it. it. Now, you, most uh, of it, yeah, most of it was done, of course, by Steve Lambert, but there are portions with close-ups that you see Shokasugi really with the blood in his face and, and the, the, all his, his wardrobe is torn, ripped from the friction on the... Bloodshot so eyes. audience, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it that it's it was not... You didn't have, uh, you know, like uh, fancy uh, uh, Hollywood star just... Holding to a bumper on a yeah. piece of, of a green screen, and the and the asphalt is moving on the on the green screen, you know. Yeah, this, and this it's was, not really moving. This it's this a was stationary show. Like you, you said, can, you can sense it. That's it. Stories from the trenches, for sure. Because like yeah. I also in the book, what you what, what you what you bring up is just like the the spirit of independent, uh, not independent, but like low budget movies, where it's like you know what, it's like this is like you learn to work like that. Like you said, you're right. like okay, we can't have a curved glass, so let's find this one van, and you you found it because you you yeah, have the right. ways, and I, I feel like a lot of that, like in the book, what I got is like just. Menahem Golan, you know, like showing everyone that it's like, no matter what, we're going to get this take, we're going to film it. This is the way it is. He was, he was like, he seemed like an amazing large, like, like the stories like of, of Menahem just seem like amazing. I don't know if you had the chance, uh, you guys or any of the listeners had a chance to, to see the documentary Electric Boogaloo, the, oh, the story I of Kenon. The, and and oh, yeah. then you can see the person in, 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 uh, real you know in true color yeah but he was he was the right 
producer for those type of movies. He was just the right producer for this. He understood this kind of movies. He understood the, the taste of the general audience globally all around the world. And he knew how to make a movie that will appeal to almost every corner in the world in this type of genre. I wouldn't let him, you know, I wouldn't say that he, he understood the same thing when it came to comedy or to other genre. Definitely not horror picture. Canon did not produce one good horror picture. They tried. Hey, Texas, Ch Texas Chainsaw Africa. Massacre too. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Toby, you know. <laughs> it's particularly Toby Hooper. But, but in action, in low budget action, they understood. That he understood this business the best. And he was involved. He, you know, he gave me a slack. He really did not bother me. He was very supportive, uh, supporting me as a director. He got involved only in uh, editing. He was not bothering, he didn't bother me on the filming uh, period. He got involved in editing. He always came up with suggestion in editing room, how to embedder it, how to make a, a scene more, more exciting, more compelling. Uh, and, and, and he had good advices and uh, obviously, you know, the history of Canon. So he was right. He, he knew what he was doing in this particular field. Uh, Invasion USA, Missing in Action, American Ninja, Ninja movies. In this field, he was an expert. I got to shift gears a little bit, bring up one of my uh, favorite youth movies, which is a departure from what we were talking about, but Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, first of all, one of the best titles of films ever, one of the funnest to say, still is to this day. Um, <laughs> Retrospectively, it, definitely I, I saw it, I think, I feel like it was on HBO a lot or something, but it was, it was on TV a lot and I would watch it every time it was on. And it's got, it, it's such a... a like a, a musical, like almost like those older musical films. And it's it's got all of your favorite 80s tropes of, you know, there's either like a ski resort or a restaurant or something that's yeah. going to get torn down and yeah. everybody bang. Yeah. It, it's just like Sam was saying about, you know, like a, like a comfort food, like this, this film was for me and, and rewatching it again in preparation for this. I, if you could talk about, you know, how sure. you took on a departure like this from what you were coming up on with the action, making a name for yourself, it must have been fun and challenging. And, you know, you were directing a lot of large crowd scenes and stuff. In, and, and if you could talk about that film. Yeah, so, uh, you know, my, di my, my diet of movies when I was growing up, beside action movies, were the classical uh, uh, musicals. Mm -hmm. uh, King and I. Uh, West Side Story, the main classical, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, main, the main Hollywood, the musical dance movies, dance and, and, and music movies. So this was part of what I grew up watching cinema. This was what I knew about cinema. And here, uh, again, by accident, I was uh, uh, offered, I was offered to direct this movie. Of course, Canon came up with the movie Breaking which was just like the ninja. They suddenly had this idea, not suddenly, but it was popular mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah, right right at the beginning, yeah. Right at the beginning. And Breaking was a huge, huge, huge success. Huge success. MGM distributed it, it made so much money. And was, so they wanted to do immediately sequel. And by the way, to the best of my knowledge, from what I know, from what I heard, this is the only movie in history that um, uh, original and sequel came out in the same year. The yeah. only movie. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they right. came that's out in the same around. calendar year, the two movies. <laughs> that's so that's anyway, business. 
So I don't know, there was a director, John Silver, uh, directed the movie, and I don't know what happened. Maybe there was a dispute, con something between him and Canon that they, they, they didn't hire him to do the second movie, the, the sequel, because everything, were the, it was the same group, the same trio, Shabadu, Shrimp, Lucinda Dickey. Mm -hmm. And I already worked with Lucinda because Ninja 3, The Domination was filmed before uh, Breaking, but they came out in a different order. Breaking came out and then Ninja 3, The Domination. Why, why, why would that happen? Oh, they wanted to rush. They, they wanted to, because there was a competition. There were other uh, breakdance movies. Oh yeah, street, uh, uh, street beat, beat street, I, beat street. street. There were like yeah. three or four uh, uh, breakdance movies being in in production at right at the same time, and Canon wanted to be the first, so uh. they did everything they could to come out first, and they did. So they neglected the uh, the distribution of Ninja Three, and but anyway, but I already knew Lucinda, so this was one element that maybe convinced them. And uh, they didn't have the, the original director for some reason. I was already famous for <laughs> directing sequels. <laughs> <laughs> so they just turned to me and said, okay, we have to do it fast. Would you do in a musical, a dance movie? It's not really musical. It's a dance movie, but it's right. really the musical. Dance movie, I tell many people, they, sometimes they don't understand what I'm saying. There is not much difference between action and dance movie. Really, there is not much difference. Uh, different culture, no, no violence, but every sequence of dance is choreographed and had to be filmed yeah. in the best, the most effective way. Every sequence of action is being choreographed. I don't choreograph the action. You know, there are people who choreograph the action. My job is to, to maximize the, the impact of the action sequence and make it so that it will be compelling, exciting, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with the dance number. I, my job is to make it exciting, beautiful, uh, aesthetics, etc., etc. But I don't choreograph the dance, obviously. So there is a lot of parallel, a lot of similarities between directing action and directing dance movies. And I love music. I, I, I love music. And I, all my life, I, I listen to music from morning to evening. I don't stop. And wow, what an opportunity to, to make. So I, I, I took it happily. I took upon me to do it. And uh, again, I was kind of a little bit introduced. The, 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 the question was the culture, the hip hop culture, not the, the physical right. dancing, not the mechanical making of the movie, but to get into, to, to be introduced to the hip hop culture. And I had, I had good teachers, I had good people. Shabadu, we had uh, Billy Goodman was the choreographer. And, and uh, you know, not so much shrimp, he was a kid. He was 17 years old at the time. And you guys, uh, you guys, Michael, Shrimp, Michael, Michael was only 17 years old at the time. You guys so shot it. You guys shot Shabadu, it. Where... And, and beside Shabadu, there was a group. He was not the only one there. He was the, the king, of course. He was right, the leader right. of he the group. The king, yeah. Shabadu. Oh, yeah. But there, there was a group, a group around him, uh, Ana Sanchez, uh, Taco, Pop Taco. There was a group around him and they introduced me that. So we went to East LA where this was the hip hop scene was at the time in East LA. You know, we have a river in Los Angeles across the river in the Eastern side, the Boyle Heights, those areas was, was the bastion the, the, of the hip hop culture, the, the street dancing. So they Is that the part of the, LA you shot it in? We shot it all in East LA. The whole movie is shot in, it was, in, in the places where it happened. 
where, where... We, we use the more of Boyle Heights a neighborhood which is called Boyle Heights because it it's a hilly and I really I was fascinated by the by the visual because Los Angeles is a flat city like a plate you mm -hmm. know and here there is one neighborhood that has little bit hills and ups and downs and you can see this the downtown in the background so that's where that dance but, sequence uh, was and 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 this was kind of more Hispanic neighborhood uh, mm -hmm. Of course, the hip hop culture was more uh, breathing in the black neighborhoods, which are not far adjacent, but again, flat neighborhoods, Campton, where the music comes from, you know. <laughs> but those are, those are totally flat, and you put the camera, you only see building, building. So, uh, but, but it, was, it was the real place, uh, Boyle Heights. The whole movie is uh, filmed in Boyle Heights. Uh, yeah. It's a neighborhood in East Los Angeles where this hip hop culture was the, was being developed was happening a, uh, where where i think colors like was filmed later on right cuz i i know you you had ice t ice t was also in breaking yeah. too and yeah. it's funny cuz you know ice t 2 years later wow was it 2 years later yeah so uh i know it was 4 years later actually he he had the the soundtrack for colors um but yeah same neighborhood um, is basically what I read. So yeah, he had two sequences in that film, right? Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. yeah. He, he was in the first movie, and he was so. Remember, guys, this is we're gonna. This is 1974. American Ninja was 75. So 1974, right? Uh, rapping was not mainstream yet. You know, nobody knew rapping. Where was rapping? Maybe you heard it. Maybe, I mean, maybe people who really in the music, especially maybe probably black music. But most of the people, it was like Ninja. Nobody's heard rapping. And we had a musical there, uh, a producer in the movie. All the dances, the music was prepared ahead of time. None of the numbers are rap. You know, they are in the, in the, in the, in the spirit of hip hop culture, but not yeah. rap. There is no rap. And then I'm introduced to this guy, Ice-T, you know, yeah. and, and he was in the script. He was part of Shabadu and relationship. And he was in the first movie. I already saw it. And he came and that's the first time I see, I see rapping with the, with the turntables and the whole thing. And, and he was and, so and, colorful. And now uh, you see him on TV. There was another guy on the set, another rapper. The beginning, right, right in the beginning of the movie, there is another rapper, but he didn't make it. Uh, Ice T was really the first rapper, you know, the first popular radio later on, two years later, he was all over the radio and all over there. So he was kind of either probably the pioneer, one of the pioneers, the, the oh, early, yeah. early, early, early yeah. rappers. He's still he he's, made it, he's know, still he still still rapping. Radio. And now on TV, a great actor. I mean, there's got to be a lot of people that you see through the years that you worked with that, that started yeah. off with you. And now, like, you know, you see their careers for sure, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and now it's already many years. We are, we are now 35, more than 35 years since it was the name. So, yeah, Ice-T became Ice-T. Kirstie Henley became a big star oh, in, yeah. uh, <laughs> in the TV show. Uh, Cheers. Uh, yeah. Right, what? right. And Do Michael you... Dudikoff became a big star, etc. So I, I, we saw changes, differences, things which are happening. But, but this is a very dynamic field. Movie making is a very dynamic field. Is there is there like um I know that you said Avenging Force was like your favorite. Do you ever like watch it, or is or is there a movie of yours that you just sit down and watch every now and then? 
No, I, the truth is that's no, I don't. I don't sit and watch the movies that I directed. I saw I mean, them I every saw now the and editing then. room a million times. Yeah. But lately, but what's happening lately, there are screenings. I'm invited to film festival or in the last seven years, I was invited to five film festivals in Europe. I told you about the screening, the 35 millimeter screening here in, in downtown Los Angeles. And, and so when I go to a festival, I say, okay, let me see the movie. I haven't seen it for such a long time. And it's beautiful to see it with an audience. I don't, to sit at home and to see American Ninja again, you know, big deal. <laughs> it's just for memories. It's not for a movie, you know, not yeah, for yeah. watching a movie, but it reminds me all kind of behind the scenes. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I watched them all when we did the, not long ago, we did the commentary track. I did commentary track to almost all of them. Uh, they came out on Blu-ray. Okay. So I was invited to do commentary track to break uh, Electric Boogaloo, to Ninja 3 Domination, Revenge Ninja, American Ninja 1, American Ninja 2. So I had a chance to view them again during when we did the commentary. And lately, I see them until the pandemic, I was invited, I was, I was starting, <laughs> I was getting invited to many festivals uh, all over the world, uh, screening those movies, and then uh, Q&A, discussions, introduction. So I had the chance to see them again on a big screen, which is fantastic. It's and really Sam, fantastic on a big screen. Sam mentioned Avenging Force, and I, I, that's a film that uh, I, I watched dark. Uh, just the, dark movie. the other night. Very dark, and I'm surprised I never – I missed it on the first go-around yeah. somehow. Like I, I, But watching it then, it's, it's, it's dark, it's violent, great fight scenes. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, great shots of Louisiana – uh mardi gras and you you said you went to loyola right that's down there right no that... loyola here in los angeles oh no, okay loyola, I there, was, there, there is yeah loyola I know university all over America. correct yeah um but uh, i love films that where the uh where it's shot is almost like a character whether it's right, like new york yeah. or los angeles and louisiana and the mardi gras and the field it, it it's it's it was really great yeah. i really enjoyed it so some people know and some people don't know that it was written as a sequel to Invasion USA. Oh, it wow. It was not written for us. I did not know that. Here, now yeah. you know. So James Booth, the writer, the actor, yeah. the British actor and the writer, James Booth, wrote the script, which was called at the time Night Hunter. And uh, uh, it was a sequel to, not sequel, but kind of a sequel, let's call it sequel to Invasion USA. It was written for Chuck Norris, basically. The script was written for Chuck Norris. Uh, Chuck Norris uh, probably read it and rejected it. I was not involved at that stage. And uh, Canon didn't know what to do. Uh, They had this good script. It was excellent script. And we just came back from uh, Philippines with American Ninja. And in American Ninja, we have Michael Dudikov and Steve James, charismatic, two charismatic characters, charismatic actors, good bond between them, chemistry on the screen. So Menachem Golan, the head of the company, came to me in a, one day in the mixing room. We were mixing the sound of American Ninja. And he said, I have here a script. He didn't tell me uh, Chuck Norris rejected it. No, it wouldn't make a difference anyway. But he didn't say, he, he kind of presented it. I have this script. Can you read it, please? And tell me if it's good for Michael and Steve. I read it overnight. A fantastic script. I read a good script, good action script with substance, with the subject, with the ideas. And uh, ooh, I came back next, the next day, I, I said, well, that's a fantastic movie for Michael and, uh, and Steve. So he said, oh, go ahead, go and make it. Now, 
it was written for New Orleans. It's written, James Booth, again, a little bit like me, a, a foreigner, he's an English uh, uh, actor and writer, has a chance to view, to view the uh, American culture from outside a little bit. So he wrote this, this, this script about racials and et cetera, racial problem, racial tension. And, and, uh, and it was written for New Orleans, but now New Orleans is a very expensive place to shoot movies, to film movies, the Union Town. It's famous, it's no, everybody knows it's a famous, it's hard to shoot. You need to corrupt some, you need to bribe some local officials to make a movie. And they just finished the movie, The Big Easy. The Big Easy was done in New Orleans, just prior to this. Uh, so Canon, so the company said, but you know, go and change the script because you're talking about the character of the place. So he said, no, no, go and change the locale, so change the script so it fits any other place. Maybe we'll go to the Philippines. And I, I made the decision I'm, as I, in my head, I said, I'm going to be stubborn at this point. I want to shoot this movie in New Orleans. And I, you know, I knew a little bit about New Orleans uh, from other movies. We saw movies, uh, we knew about Mardi Gras. I feel I feel like it's the first time you were ever stubborn, right? I feel like and you... I, you know some points here and there. Okay. Uh, but but on this one, I wanted I wanted really to go to New Orleans and to the swamps and to the bios and to, so I I was fighting with Menachem Golan. Okay, by that point, company was busy with movies with Chuck Norris with Charles Bronson. They start they started to make bigger movies, eleven million, twelve million. So. For them, it was like I was bothering them. So they say, okay, go to New Orleans, just leave us alone, just come back with them. Because they, they wanted to, they believed in Michael Dudikoff. They wanted to bet on Michael Dudikoff. They said, yes. so, okay, go to New Orleans, whatever, just go. So luckily, yeah. you know, they caved in. I, I prevailed in, <laughs> in my stubbornness. And and they and, and we went to New Orleans and it shows in the movie. It's exactly what you're saying. There is a color, there is a character to the story, and we didn't have to dilute the story that Jim Booth wrote, and he wrote it in the South, and it has this feeling with the Cajuns and with the with the New Orleans and with the with the corruption and the animals and the everything together comes comes uh, and, and it shows in the movie. I think the, vil uh, the villains, and, the villains yeah, are. And I, I'm very proud. I, I, I like this movie a lot. The, vi the action movies that I directed, I like it the best. <laughs> I, I, I think so, too. I think the villains are like the most effective um, yeah. in this. John Ryan, John P. Ryan. What an actor. Yeah. I yeah. he's I loved him in Delta Force, too. And, well, absolutely. Uh, and and right? in, he was in Runaway Train. He was yeah. the warden in Runaway <laughs> yes. Train. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Jim Booth plays the head of the agency also. The, he, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but and, he, uh, it's just like that. The, the, I'll, I'll tell you what, the the, the, um, the scene that was the, the most ridiculous was the burning house because it's just like mm. you've never seen Steve yeah. James die in a movie. And then mm. on top of that, like the kid gets it. I was like, holy no. shit. I'm like, so, no mercy. So all of this is from the script. I, we did not change one word. Jim Booth really wrote the, this script and we shot it the way it was. We filmed it the way it was written. Maybe we adjusted here and there for location purposes or whatever, but the film was produced the way it was written. So that it's actually, we had to cut out, out some violence because we got X-rated in the first screening. You know, the, first, uh, the first cut was X. So I had to cut out a little bit of, of the violence. But I was lucky in many ways. I was lucky. They just, they, uh, 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 the movie 
Rambo number two just wrapped up in the south, somewhere in the south over there. They just wrapped. And the special effect crew from Rambo two, which were studio special effect crew, somehow they agreed to come to us. All this burning house building, it's a specially built set, which is built in a specific way. So it doesn't burn down, you know, all the, all the, all the material are fire retarded. And, and I had this fantastic special effect crew that just came out of, you know, they just finished a major big movie, Rumble number two. <laughs> and they, they did this all. And again, this, this is storyboarded every move. So of course, you, it has to be very carefully. So if you want to avoid any accident or any, any tragedy, you have to be very careful and it has to be very, very carefully planned. So yeah. every shot is carefully planned and I work together with them, with the special effect guys and they, boy, they nailed it. They did, you know, with pieces coming down, burning pieces, falling, mm -hmm. the staircase is, is mechanical. You, we, we, Second take, the staircase come up again. We do a second thing. Boom! You know, e even fun. even like the arrow through Michael's leg, I like it was just so quick. Like you know, he's like, "Get him down!" And then he shoots the arrow. Like I, you know, like the thing when you're a, a kid uh, and villains go to like kill the hero, they always take their time. So you're always like, they're always like, I don't know, like they're like, oh, we're gonna kill you now, but they never do, and it's like we're gonna do something. Well, he 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 was a terrific villain. John P. Ryan was a terrific, terrific villain, oh. villain, and he's a gentle soul. This guy is such a, he's a liberal and nice guy. And now, let me just come up to the point that you said the movie was not very popular, was not visible, and this was again by some kind of coincidence that happened in the world of making movies and distributing movies. And I, I believe that this was the reason that the movie was not that visible and popular at the time. Uh, Canon, after, after Revenge of the Ninja, Canon distributed every, every one of their movies through MGM. So they have some kind of a deal. MGM would take any Canon movie, the breakdowns, the electric boogaloo, every movie, they took. But, Suddenly there was a fight. They came to a fight between Canon and MGM. It was over the profit of breaking, by the way. Uh, breaking made a lot of money and traditionally studios are not very happy to, to pass on the profit to the production company in Hollywood. <laughs> so there was a fight about this. It came to a, to a peak, the fight came to a peak when we finished Avenging Force, which was called Night Hunter Avenging Force. And Canon was mad, MGM were you know, all kinds of, I don't know, lawsuit, whatever. And Canon decided to pull out, to cancel the contract, the, this arrangement with MGM. Wow. And they decided they will, they will create their own distribution company. And distributing movie in the United States is very difficult. You know, the studios have a, at that time, they had the experience of 70 years, 80 years of distributing movies and advertising and publicity, publicity, etc. And just to come from the outside, a small company and try to compete with studios in distribution and relationship with theater chains, etc. It's very difficult, very difficult. So Canon decided they pulled out, they took a, a Avenging Force away from MGM. And they decided to do it by themselves, but they, of course they didn't do a good job like MGM would have done if 
if the deal was still were was still going on. Yeah. So the movie suffered from disability. Uh, American Ninja was a big success. It was distributed by MGM, and they could have ride, you know, Michael Dudikoff and Steve James, the duo, and just right. s- somehow to amplify it, which I'm sure studio would have done. The studio would have just take this this uh, Michael Dudikoff and Steve James, amplify their visibility, and come out with the Avenging Force. But it didn't happen. So. Wow. So this is the story. We are uh, behind the scene. Yeah, we 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 don't want to keep you. I just want to say one last thing. Um, I mean, shit, we didn't even. We, your career is so big; it's well, hard to cover. Uh, six months from now, we'll do another. Podcast. We'll do another. I I just want to say, American Ninja was the biggest yeah. deal. Um, the the trio of 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 Steve James, Michael Dudikoff, and Judy Aronson. Uh, that was probably the best casting of of any movie for sure. Would you agree? I agree. So remember, in the beginning, we have mentioned it already. We touched on it. This is the medium of the stars. No, no question about it. Good script is important. Good story is important. But if the star yeah. of the movie or the stars, the group of the leading group, the including the villain, the, the heroes, the villain, the good guys, the bad guys, if this group is not dynamically conveying the, the, the feeling of, this, of the script, of the story, it will not work. So I, I just, on top of my head, you know, the Fast and the Furious. Not only the script are good the, the, in the series, but the cast, the group that makes the movie. So we were lucky. So sometimes, you know, sometimes there are fantastic scripts, but somehow it's the wrong casting, the hero doesn't fit the story, or the, you don't feel the chemistry between the good guy and the leading lady and, you know we know about movies like this uh, legal eagle was a f- famous, uh, legal <laughs> famous eagle. wow that's a that's a good one wow. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's so, a good reference the, the chemistry didn't work it just yeah. did not work yeah so, and sometimes all the stars align everything is perfect and the chemistry worked the right actor portrayed the right character of the script the love story is fantastic the buddy buddy story is fantastic. The bad guys are good. The villains are good, and everything. So I agree with you about American Ninja. Cool. We had a script. There was a good character. You know, it's not a classic script, a classic story, but but a good conflict, good and very good character of the and, hero. And reluctant hero who doesn't want to fight. Great poster. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Cool. I'll tell you right. about the poster. It's also a story. Yeah. And, and yeah, here yeah. comes Michael Ludico from all the people we saw. It's in the book. We saw about 400 young kids for the park. He was chosen, eventually Michael did. And here, it was the perfect match. The character of Michael as an actor, as, as a human being, and the character of Joe Armstrong, they're perfectly, they're the same same character. The chemistry between him and the love story with the innocent, I must, I must stress, the innocent love story between him and Judy Aronson is perfect. It just worked. You believe them. She looks at him with these admiring eyes <laughs> that you believe yeah. it. Yeah. And the brotherhood between him and Steve James is yeah. not unparalleled in movies, but it's among the, the best. It's among like the- uh, Butch Cassidy, you know. Yeah. It's a great brotherhood between the two. You believe when you see the movie, you believe that they they will give each other's life to save the other and, mm-hmm. and, and, and it works and it's so a- everything came together good script good story interesting you know american ninja and but but the main thing was the cast and the villain the, the guy uh oh yeah know, yeah yeah 
with the villains. Okay, a couple good villains. He was a big soap opera star. But at the very end, when you're walking out of the movie theater as a seven-year-old kid like me, the very last, the very last thing that you see is you know Michael take the 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 you know the the ninja mask off. The music hits, and it's it's a perfect gap between. And like, the camera moves you know, on his yeah. face. Oh, it's yeah. so good. That's it. <laughs> From low angle, it's all calculated. You know, the, the, one of the part, one of the. <laughs> of the elements of a director directing movies, manipulating the audience uh, emotion. I mean, this is a big part. Yeah. <laughs> One of the biggest part of, uh, of a director is to manipulate motion, motion, uh, uh, audience uh, emotion. And uh, so you have this short, low angle camera moves up to Michael Dudikoff with the crane up to his face, and he's looking up. Of course. You Listen. mentioned you had a story about the poster. I'd love to hear. Ah, uh, oh, the poster. I, I yeah. Was, so I was. There were two, uh, there, there are few people involved in this movie, uh, making the movie. One of them was uh, Mike Stone, a famous martial artist uh, that was involved in Enter the Ninja, uh, Steve Lambert, the stunt coordinator. And I had two producers who worked with me, not from the, the Canon, that the company assigned. By that time, they were so busy, they assigned producer. I had to leave to the, uh, to the Philippines to start to look for location, preparation, etc. And one of the producers, Gideon Amir, stayed behind. Michael, Michael Stone, at this period, was training Michael Dudikoff. Michael Dudikoff was not a, not a very trained martial artist. And, you know, the move. So Mike Stone was training here in Los Angeles. Michael Dudikoff toured the movie, preparing him. And uh, the company turned to my friend Gideon Amir, the producer, and said, we need a poster. They come up, what can we do, some idea? So I wasn't here, but I'll tell you the story that I heard. So my, uh, uh, Gideon Amir uh, wanted a big flag, American Ninja. So he wanted a big American flag. So, you know, in the studios, there's this rental background. You can, you can rent any background, mountains, whatever. So he found this, the, most, the biggest flag he could find. And he rented the studio someplace, warehouse or something. <laughs> he, they hang this flag behind him. And he, he rented a smoke, uh, smoke machine, <laughs> one of those fog machines that, uh, in the yeah. rock and roll concert. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they already had the wardrobe. So, and, um, so he brought to the stage Mike Dudikoff and Mike Stone. And there are two versions of the poster. One of them, you see a black ninja kneeling. This is Mike Stone and Michael Dudikoff in a kind of a military pants with a sword. And one, only Michael Dudikoff against the flag, with the flag in the background. And Gideon Amir, the producer, his wife is a photographer, so she took the pictures. And it definitely iconic. I agree with you. It was, yeah. I think, I, but I must say I was not involved. It was not part of, <laughs> I cannot take credit for this gotcha. poster. <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so they did it, and, and then the company, out of these photos, it was a promotional, it was for promotional photos, not for a poster, I believe. But they saw that it looked so good, yeah. so they, they built the poster around it. Uh, they, they used it to build the poster. Uh, if you see very early posters of American Ninja, it was, there was a guy flying in the air. It was different posters early when they were trying to pre-sell the movie. Mm. But then okay. you know, they took this one, and of course, and the rest is history. So, sure. so listen, <laughs> yeah. this, this, this poster is really this, fantastic. This was great. 
Uh, thank you so yes. much for doing it. In six months, I'm definitely going to ask again because we got to get into like the 90s and uh, Ninja, everything else. So thank you so much. Thank you for making movies that yeah. we, we grew up on and we love. And man, th this was so cool. Thank you so much. So uh, thank Thanks you for guys taking the time. For, yeah. for reaching. Thank you for reaching and uh, and asking me to participate in this podcast. Oh, and uh, let me just. Uh, and once you're ready and once you're putting it on, let me know. I will help to promote it through all the social media that I am connected to. I'm going to put it up Monday. I, I follow oh, you. Thank you, you very I, much. Just, yeah. I follow yeah, you. Just on, let me know. Yeah. Give me the, the, the link and I will help to promote it. I don't know if you're, if you're also using any photos or pictures. I, I can help you, but if you don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just send me. Uh, I got some stuff. It's fine, and then uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, got, I'll hit you up on Messenger, Sam. The internet is full. Yeah, internet is full, and oh. you can go to my website, samperstenberg.com. There are many pictures yes. of it, many photos. Oh, yeah. cool. That you can download and use. Uh, Sam. terrific. So just let me know, and I will help to promote it. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you, Sam. Sam. Talk soon. Okay, guys. Bye. It was fantastic. It was nice talking yeah. to you. Yes. Same Thank here. you. Bye. Bye now.